0: salutations one and all welcome to today's episode of risk and reels i am your host jeffrey Wheatman, and i have the pleasure and honor to welcome my buddy dave lewis uh dave and i have known each other i don't know how long eight nine years now from from a conference with it was 12, 12 years, years maybe longer yeah, it's been, it's been quite some time, so I'm super excited to get to, uh, to talk to you today. I know it's been a little while getting this, uh, getting this set up. Um, so for those of you that don't know Dave, because everybody knows Dave, Dave, Dave is a global advisory CISO for Cisco Systems. So we were talking before we started recording, uh, his job is similar to mine in that he thinks about things and then he talks to people about the things he thinks, which is a really, really fun and cool job so i'm real excited dave uh nice to see you uh how are things going
1: oh very good uh, yeah no i going back to what you're saying a moment ago the thing i love about this job is nobody calls me at three o'clock in the morning to you know fix the internet oh. as i as i've had happen many times in the past so it, it, it's quite a it's quite a nice role yeah
0: well years ago i worked at martha stewart and i my I really enjoyed my time there. I met my wife there, which is good. But the worst thing I got called by Martha at five o'clock in the morning one day, cause her email was down and oh. um, Martha's got a mouth on her if she's unhappy. And uh, I, I got an earful and uh, yeah, it was a whole uh, a power test and they decided to turn the power off in the data center and not tell us and everything crashed. It was ugly. Uh, oh. But yeah, I don't, I don't miss,
1: don't miss those. So those are the kind of calls Um, that I didn't like.
0: No, no. That's why operational roles are not all that fun. I get people reaching out to me for CISO jobs on LinkedIn. I got, I think I'm okay, but uh, all right. Awesome. So, so let's jump in. So as everyone knows, we always start off with a movie, uh, a movie question. So Dave, here's your movie question. Who is your favorite movie hero of all time?
1: Well, see, this is a little bit demented because people say, "Um, (laughs) wait a second, what? Um, No, my favorite one is actually John Wick, of all people. Um, He is a a person that is horribly broken in many ways, but his dedication to his task, his, you know, the underdog that everybody bets against, um, it it really does uh, appeal, uh, you know, obviously not the, you know, Killing everybody part of being an assassin that John Wick's character is. Uh, but, you know, it's just his absolute drive and determination and his focus are things that really uh, jump out to me and his uh, his curious set of principles. But, you know, it's it just as a character, I, I find him very intriguing.
0: You know, it's funny you mention that because, um, you know, I I don't know when this is going to go up, but John Wick 4 is coming out or has recently come out. And my daughter and I, as a run-up, actually started running through the first three again. We're about halfway through uh, Chapter 2. And I actually agree with you. I think he is... um, a super interesting character for the reasons you mentioned, right? He, he has a set of rules and guidelines that he goes by and I, I give him a lot of credit for, um, you know, holding to those principles and truthfully, if anyone did anything to my dogs, I might go on a little bit of a rampage too, although I don't have those cool gold coins. Um but uh yeah, I, I agree. And I, I also I think that whole I think the whole universe that they created really from scratch is just super interesting with the with the hotels and the coins. And I'm I'm really, really a big fan of um uh his name is escaping me, the actor that plays the desk guy at the Continental in New York.
1: Oh. I am blanking on his name, but he is absolutely fantastic in that role.
0: Yeah, and and we're my wife and I are actually running through the wire, and he's in the wire too. He runs yeah. the team in the first season, so yeah, he's been all over. He was he was a weird bad guy and lost, but yeah. I love, but I actually I love I love that that choice. Um, you know, on one of the previous episodes, I, I I spoke with Jason Street, who I know you know, and um, yep. We talked about villains and he had an interesting choice as well. If I remember correctly, his, uh, his villain choice was Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. And, and we had an interesting conversation about what makes a villain and what makes a hero. And, and I think, you know, to your point, John Wick is not a traditional hero.
1: Yes, that's right. Exactly right.
0: But but he, yeah, he, he is the man. And um, my my daughter and I were kind of talking about the the code of conduct that those guys had. And, and here's a little trivia question: Do you know what kind of watch John Wick wears?
1: As a Shepard?
0: No, it's, uh, it's a it's um, a, um, a Monero flyback uh, date. Oh, from, okay. uh, uh, yeah, from, and I can't remember, the I can't think of the watchmaker's name, but I'm a big watch guy, so I always, when I see watches in movies or TV, I always look them up. It's an amazing what you can find, but um, they, uh, yeah, I, although, truthfully, it's a dress watch. I'm not sure dress watch is making it through all his trials and tribulations, although, although the fact that his bones make it through for the most part,
1: I think... Uh, the, the, I, think I find that somewhat suspect. And, and, you know, going back to the villain piece, too, <laughs> I mean... So? It, <laughs> Yeah, going back to the villain piece. I mean, I, I for me, I have to say that my all time favorite villain would be somebody that you wouldn't necessarily think of was the principal from the movie The Breakfast Club. And the reason I like him is because as an antagonist, he's constantly driving them all crazy. He's constantly giving them uh, it problems. But he's stumbling through life so he is you know trying to assert himself when he really has no perceivable power but he ends up driving them all together melding them as a unit so as a team builder he's absolutely fantastic although inadvertent
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i you know i um i feel bad frequently for people that are in that kind of a position right he 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 has some tacit level of power but not in any meaningful way Right. He, he's got yep. power over these kids, but he doesn't have power over anything else in, in his life. So interesting. Um, so that's actually a great transition, right, to talking about people who don't really have a lot of power, unfortunately, in a lot of cases. Right. So you you have a, you have a great background, Dave, a great career. Um, you've worked in a lot of environments as a CISO and as as a security practitioner and a security leader and and manager and um, you know you've been doing it for you know a couple of twenty fours. So I think I think our audience would be interested to hear <laughs> uh, interested to years. hear. I think a couple of things, right? So, what have you seen as a change in in security? You know, over the last you know, 10 years or so good, bad and different things are getting better. Things are getting worse.
1: Um. So one of the things I've seen is a lot of industry verticals are playing catch up. So I spent nine years in control systems. And one of the things that I'm actually happy to see is they're now getting to a better place. They still have a very long road to go, but compared to where I was, it was, it's really come a long way. And the piece that I pull from that is something I encountered far too often was uh, what I call security debt. And this is accumulated technological debt that had become a security issue within an organization. Now, the crazy thing here is as we're going through looking at all these different organizations over time, I see that now that has actually gotten worse. And the pandemic really played into that because a lot of organizations, they did what they had to do to keep the lights on. They did what they had to do to get their forces, uh, workforces up and running and making sure that they were still in business. And as a result, a lot of risks were accepted, and I'm worried that those risks will not be revisited in the future, and then these security issues will compound over time and then come back to haunt them. I mean, I'll use Heartbleed as a very simple way to uh, point back to it. You know, Every company on the world was using this for their SSL library, and for two years it had a major exposure that went unnoticed for whatever reason, uh, either by malice or by uh, the whoops factor. Well, I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that, but. This is the type of thing that can manifest over and over again. And we've seen it with the data breaches that have happened over the years. Like I remember back in, I'll say 2012, I think it was, I started a webpage where I was tracking data breaches. And at the time, the biggest one was about 7 million records was in the data breach. That was big news at the time. Nowadays, (laughs) nobody would even blink. (laughs) Exactly. Nobody even blinks now. You get orders orders of magnitude of billions of records being breached on a daily basis. And so I think that while we have better technologies, we have better tools available to us because of things like, um, you know, faster code production into being pushed into, uh, sorry, faster code being pushed into production, um, cl- you know, cloud instances, all the rest of it. It is far simpler for organizations to do things faster and in a more convenient manner. But unfortunately, a lot of times security becomes an afterthought or not thought of at all. And these problems compound very quickly. So
0: that's a great sort of, there's a lot of good stuff there. Let's unpack a little bit. So you, so you talked about the security debt and I think that's an interesting one. And uh, the story that I share, my cousin works for an investment bank and when COVID hit, well, they sent everybody home, right? Cause investment bankers, all they do is play golf and sit in front of a Bloomberg. They didn't have any computers. So what'd they do? They pulled all the computers out of the IT lab and sent them home. So He was running an old version of Windows. There was no strong authentication, no disk encryption, but they had to keep the lights on. They had to keep the money flowing. And about four months later, I happened to talk to the CISO from my previous job, and he said, oh, my God, like, we don't know what we did. They then had to go back and go, okay, well, what computers did we send out? Can we update them? Do we need to get them back? And I think, you know, in, in the industry you mentioned talking about, you know, industrial controls, they may never go back. They may only find out about those gaps when it's time to update to the new, to the new systems. So in, in your role, let me ask you a question talking about debt and, and risk. So one of the things we've started to hear about, you know, I think there's, there's an economic adjustment coming. We don't want to call it a recession yet, but I think that's what it's going to be. So we're seeing a lot of organizations willing to accept a lot more risk as a result, are you seeing a shift in risk appetite or risk tolerance in the folks you're working with and talking to? Uh,
1: honestly, I'm, what I'm seeing is a lot of consolidation um, where organizations would have had, you know, 100 different vendors that they we're dealing with are now consolidating down to the least amount they can actually use to get by. And I think a lot of this is, you know, helping to shore up against the eventualities where some of these companies might conceivably be gone overnight. And they don't want to be held, you know, holding the bag saying, oh, you know, how do we get this technology taken care of? So they then they tend to be moving to a larger conglomerates or more established organizations um, with the hope that they will be a, you know, a sustainable future. Uh, but from a risk perspective, I see that, you know, organizations are doing a better job of reducing that because, you know, when we're looking at security debt and things to that effect, a lot of organizations really are waking up to the this is a clear and present danger for them. And that they are doing their best to not only harmonize and streamline organizations, uh their their organizational security, but yeah, you know, you ever have one of those moments where your brain just goes, Yeah, we're done here? Yeah, that's just what happens. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have an excuse because you're
0: not feeling great today. So exactly, well, yeah. I'm gonna cut you some slack. Plus you're definitely smarter than I am, so I will definitely cut you some slack. Um Yeah, uh, you know it's it's interesting because the that sort of best of breed versus best of need to me has always been kind of an ebb and flow over time. I think in large part it's connected to economic, but I also think it's connected to some other things as well, like operational efficiencies, all other areas of IT and theory are getting more efficient. And I think, you know, Cisco, an organization you work for, Cisco has a history of being incredibly operationally efficient financially efficient. I remember years ago that, you know, they came out with a story like, you know, John Chambers could basically pull a P and L in 13 minutes or something crazy. Right. But from the security side, it's definitely more, more challenging. And I think, um, you know, at any given time there are a thousand, 1500 security vendors out there and as as a leader, you have to parse through all those and figure out, you know, what's the cost? What's the investment? Where's the value? So
1: even even before we get to that point, one of the things that I find a lot of customers need to do a better job of is doing their homework to see what is it they're trying to do? You know, what are the outcomes they're trying to achieve in order to satisfy the uh, the aspirations of the business? So buying products for the sake of buying products is a, you know, it's 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 a Purdue, you know, you're walking into battle knowing you're never coming back again. It is just a flawed logic. But I've seen this so many times it's like, oh, we bought this particular software. It's like, great. When would you install it? Oh, someday. Or shelfware. I've seen that in, in one financial institution I did work in many years ago. They spent millions and millions of dollars on a piece of software and they never, ever deployed it.
0: Yeah, I, when I was in consulting, I used to refer to that as the closet right? Everybody you went into had a closet or a shelf, or oftentimes it was under someone's desk, where it was all the stuff they bought, because it seemed like a good idea. And then they realized, oh, we don't have anyone who knows how to use it. We can't send people for training. We don't know how to get it integrated, but th- you you nailed it. And the terrible thing, it's not getting any better. And, and I think it's desktop. frustrating.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. The, the Bayes desktop written, right, uh, writing that, try that again. The Bayes desktop Running mission-critical code written by a summer student who left 10 years ago, and they have no idea how to port it off. I have seen that so many times. And over the last, oh, God, three years, I've been doing a lot of CISO roundtables. And whenever I bring that up, I get a lot of people going, oh, you know, head and hands. They're like, oh, yeah, no, you're right. It it happens everywhere. And this is one of those very difficult things where, you know, again, that plays back to the security debt and the risk to the organization where, yes, this may be a mission critical application, but it is still limping along. And how are we going to move that to a better place? Or how are we going to better control that?
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I always used to tell people, look, I'm a professional paranoid, but I'm also a business person. And I'm not going to tell you, you need to replace that at a cost of a hundred million dollars because we can't patch it anymore. Right. Yeah, Well, That's yeah, generally exactly. not a good business decision. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You talked about the computer a bunch of years ago. I ran a move. Uh, we changed offices. I was working for a VAR and it was a big box and it had a whole bunch of cables going in and out of it. And I said to the, like, what is that? I don't know. So. We moved it, they plugged it back in, and I went, you know what, I'm going to turn it off and see what happens. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. They spent 200 hours plugging the cables back in, and it literally, it was was a failover from six years earlier.
1: Oh, my God. So this drives me crazy, because I did the exact same thing. I was working in a power company, and we had this system that was causing all sorts of trouble on the network it was having a panic state we ended up having to unplug it because we couldn't figure out who the business owner was who it was responsible for that because there was no proper documentation for that particular system so finally i just said enough i pulled the ethernet cable i put a note on it in an envelope and i left it there and eventually you know the system owner did contact me and said look this is mission critical we need this up now i said would you like to join me on the race floor so we walked out onto the raised floor and he was spitting and fire. And I walk over and I looked at it and it said, Ethernet cable's hanging there. I said, Is this your server? He's like, Yes, that's it. I handed him the note. It was sealed and dated. And he looked at it and went, huh. Opened it up, read the note. He said, Well, thank you very much for your time and he walked away. That system had been unplugged for nine months before anybody noticed.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's People, people don't want to change. They don't want to take a risk. But then the flip side, I had a guy that worked for me when I was at Martha Stewart. He unplugged a, a fiber cable and then went, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And then he plugged it back in again. So, of course, he caused uh, iterative, repeating re- recalibration of the network. So the whole <sighs> network was down for 39 <laughs> minutes until it got caught up. If you just would have left it unplugged, it actually would have been okay. But he <laughs> plugged it right back in. Uh, it's, oh, yeah, he didn't. I mean, he didn't last long. We we fired him for a variety of um, dis- disastrous behaviors.
1: Yeah, um, I would say that qualifies. <laughs>
0: uh, and that wasn't even the worst. The whole backup things, but anyway. Um. So so the security debt. I think that's a that's a great takeaway. I think for people that we hear a lot of people talk about technical debt and our mutual friend uh, Lee McMullen. Um, he, he's talked to a lot of people about that whole, the whole technical debt and how you get rid of it. Um, and you know, since you saw him last, he actually changed jobs over at my former employer. He's now a mad scientist working on my old team. Um, but, uh. You know, he, I saw him in Dallas a couple months ago, and he gave me a set of beads that he wore on stage. He said they were filled with his chi. And for anyone who knows Lee McMullen, his, his chi is very powerful chi. He's got big chi. So I wore them on stage in Toronto, and I killed. So I, I, I said thanks, Lee.
1: There you go. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, awesome.
0: So, so security debt. So that that's a great one. Um, what about, so let, let's shift gears a little bit. I'm going to kind of hit you with something. So chat GPT or GT. Ah. I always mix it up, chat Chat GPT. I actually have a yes. presentation in front of me that I watched yesterday. So what do you think? Is that the future of security? Is it the, the detriment to security or is it some combination thereof? Uh,
1: quite literally, it's another hammer. Um, and, and that's one of those things where people are like freaking out about it. And it's like, no, it's just yet another tool. And while it is very convenient in the things that it can do, um, we have to be, you know, quite aware that it is literally just another hammer and how are we going to implement that? And we're going to see other technologies coming out. We're going to see that from uh, Microsoft and Google. They're coming out with their own uh, iterations of this. And I know ChatGPD apparently has got a paid version coming at some point. So I I've been saw using it this morning. Yeah. And I've been using this for all sorts of interesting things. Like I, I got it to write blog posts for this. Uh, like So I was spinning up this like fake website uh, for the sake of just seeing what it will do. And I get it to write blog posts on all all the different things. And it's actually remarkably good at it. But what I do is then I then take it and then wash it through Grammarly to make clean it up so it doesn't look like it came from it. And it's usually spot on. But the one thing it won't do, and I'm quite disappointed, and it will not let you pick lottery numbers.
0: No, it also will not make sports forecasts. I asked it who was going to win the yep. Super Bowl. They wouldn't tell me. Um, but, you know, so it's interesting. You, you, so I've been experimenting with it as well, and I, I actually put it through a little bit of a challenge. So I asked it this question. Where should the CISO report? And it gave me nice thing. And then I said, where should the CISO report in finance? And it gave me a nice answer, different reporting structure. And then I said, manufacturing, energy and utilities, and I hit it with a bunch of other verticals. The write-up was almost exactly the same. The reporting structure was slightly different in insurance. And I think finance, it gave me different things, but I just feel like it's I mean, let's face it, right? It's leaps and bounds above any of the other AI we've seen before. And I think people are blown away by that. And I I don't want to minimize the power because I think it's a very powerful tool. But I I just, to your point, I think we can't, people can't rely on it 100%. You know, AI, I don't think will ever be a standalone security thing, right? I think it's got to be supplemented by people and intelligence. Oh, there's a lack of that, unfortunately. But um, Hey, I'm right here. Do you... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> are you are you hearing any buzz? Because you, you probably have some great exposure that I would never have. Are you hearing about any vendors that are looking to bring in this particular technology? Or I mean you mentioned Google and Microsoft are building their own, but you know, I won't ask uh, you what Cisco's doing, because that would be an unfair question. But uh, are you seeing well, scary we, vendors we, looking at
1: this stuff? <laughs> You can ask it because I actually don't know the answer for Cisco. So I, that, that's fair. <laughs> um, but I have not seen any other vendors do that. However, um, the RSA is either right about now or in the future, depending on when this airs. Um, and I'm guaranteed we're going to see that all over the floor because every year there seems to be a theme. I remember one year it was cloud security and it was amazing because there was one company on the floor. They were cloud enabled all the rest of it. And I said, what about this makes you cloud? And they said, absolutely nothing. It's a rack. Uh, it's a They had a 2U server that you could rack. And I said, well, why do you say cloud? And they said, well, because all the VCs are paying attention to it. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I fear that we're going to see a lot of that because you're right. AI up until now has been an if-then-else statement. Uh, ChatGP really does change the horizon in many ways. But... Um, again, going back to it, when I call it a tool, I don't mean that to take away from it or denigrate it. It is, but it but it is what it is. We have to frame it accordingly. I was at a conference in Singapore a couple of weeks ago, and my friend Jay Turler from the Philippines was giving this talk about uh, hacking cars, and he actually used Chat GPT to create two modules for his car hacking tool, and one of them worked. So it actually okay. wrote code for him, and it was viable. So obviously, these are early days, but. With something like this, I believe we're gonna see this accelerate very quickly. As to integrations into security products within the industry, I don't know yet how that's gonna work out or if it's gonna work out. But uh it'll be uh, very interesting to see that play out over time.
0: Yeah. No, I, I I agree. And the the it's funny you mentioned the whole buzzword thing. There was a study I saw a couple of years ago, uh, a company that tracks uh VC investment. Out of the UK, looked at uh, 300 companies um, that had taken in funding that in or around AI, and they found four. Four of them actually had a product. All the other ones had an idea, and they were hoping oh, they to get money and build the product. Yeah, and it's just and I that that's one good thing about the economic adjustment is that that VC money starts to kind of pull back a little bit, and we get a little bit of of sanity. Okay, my my dog is trying to. What are you doing, dude? He does so not less know anything about-, about artificial intelligence. And and in fact, he doesn't know much about intelligence at all. My wife and I call him DeVry Institute because he is uh, severely lacking. Um, so wh- anything else you see?
1: You're killing anything me. Anything
0: else you see on the... Anything else you see on the horizon like that people should be looking at. I mean you're you're definitely at the cutting edge. I mean you work for one of the biggest tech companies in the world, right? You know a lot of people, right? Anything coming that you think is going to change the world. I know that's a little bit uh hyperbolic.
1: Um well, yeah, one of the things that I've seen and I I'm, I'm hoping that's going to get more and more traction is uh returning to zero. And what I mean by that is going back to all the things that we should have been doing fundamentally 30 years ago, um, you know, risk reduction, um, network zone segmentation, uh, proper authentication methods, all of these pieces that somehow along the way, we lost the, you know, the narrative. And we started chasing the ooh shiny like the chat GPT or, you know, dogs running around your office and you have to close the door. But <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. Uh, but yeah, no, I. I <laughs> Um, I I think that we're going to see a lot of returning back to those core fundamentals that we have lost uh, the focus in many ways.
0: Yeah, you know that's a great point. Um, you know, when I was at Gartner, I used to get people going. Uh, you know what what what's like cutting edge? And I go, Are you get you getting your patches out? Or do you you know have you done the first six controls in CIS? okay so until you do that though these cutting edge things to your point gonna be shelfware right yeah but everybody you know people want all this sexy and cool in there I guess there's just nothing sexy and cool about patching but it's super super and, critical people don't yes. do it
1: and, and that's the real. Concern I have is, you know, the box with the blinky lights will only get you so far. You want to make sure that you're like defined repeatable processes will help reduce risk in any organization. And you don't need a vendor to tell you that you, you can do this yourselves as a, you know, a, a customer environment. Um, and I think for vendors, but, we have but do to be people able, do oh,
0: it Do people do it Do people look at process. I haven't seen um, it much.
1: Well, in the, the CISO roundtables that I've been hosting over the last three years, I actually have seen quite a large number of them leaning more okay. towards that as a you know way to change things. <coughs> Sorry. Um, and I, I think that that is going to ultimately get us to a better place if we start focusing on the human element because we do tend to get lost in the you know the zero days the the product with the blinky lights all that sort of thing we tend to lose fat, uh, you know focus on the human element that is the part where You know, a lot of the security issues come from as long as you got fingers touching keyboards, bad things are going to happen. So rather than vilifying the users, we have to do a far better job of making them part of the solution and help bringing them into the fold in many ways. And uh, hopefully if we focus more on the human element, the security debt reduction um, and, you know, all those core fundamentals, I think we're going to get to a better place. All of the tools from all the different vendors absolutely are going to help. But you have to make sure that you're putting it in focus. There is no such thing as a silver bullet. There's nothing that you can make, wave a magic wand and everything's going to be fine. It is going to be down to the humans. You have to make sure that you have folks on staff that are able to execute on your outcomes to help support the aspirations of the business.
0: So that, that's all true unless we replace all the people with robots.
1: As long as I can just, be the gonk just, robot from Star Wars, just a thought. Just Have you ever thought. noticed in every Star Wars movie, there's that trash can that walks around and just says, gonk, gonk, gonk? That will be my role.
0: That'd oh, I was awesome. hoping that would be my role. I, you know what? I'll I'll be the the trash compactor because uh, oh, uh, I think I'm well well qualified for that. Um, or K two S O. There you go. <laughs> so so people, right? I think that's a great yeah. a great thing, right? So. Um, Training, awareness, education—we know it's big business. We know there are companies out there that doing that do it, and yet sometimes all it takes is one person clicking a, da- a link or or opening a file that they shouldn't open. Education is never going to be perfect, right? Never.
1: Doesn't mean give up on it though.
0: Okay. All right. So what do you what do you see? As do you see any changes or do you think it's just going to be the same old, all right, we're going to tell you all the stuff you should do and all the stuff you shouldn't do. And then in six months, we're going to tell you again.
1: Oh no, that, that never works. We've shown that demonstrably that, that has limited utility. One of the really amazing things of the pandemic, and I can't believe I can say something positive about the pandemic is how organizations changed how they viewed uh, hybrid work and, you know, people working from wherever. <coughs> and I think that that is the part that, uh, I think has really fundamentally changed things because at one point in the past, if somebody said, Oh, I'm going to be working from home on Friday, that just meant they're going to play golf or whatever it happened to be. Uh, nowadays, it's like, you know, working from home is more of the de facto standard than not. And a lot of organizations that I, you know, in, informally polled said that they found that quite literally productivity increased when people were working remotely. Um, and this is one of those things that historically the mindset was such that that was never going to work. And we were able to prove that it was do you, able to work.
0: Do, do you think Sorry. that's going to change the security model, though, now that people are working from home more?
1: Yes. And the reason I think it's going to uh, do that is because now organizations <laughs> have to find better ways to handle the posture of the devices that are deployed, how they're going to enable the users to, you know, know that they're part of the organization to know that they're safe and secure because you're taking into account the human element you're democratizing security and that you don't want somebody in finance to have to worry about how to configure a firewall you want to give them tools written in a way that's going to be easy for them and not an encumbrance Uh, like i love pgp don't get me wrong but i would absolutely never get my mother to use it because i still like to get invited to dinner once in a while
0: yeah, you know that I think that that's a great example. I I worked for a consulting company a while ago and um one of their big things was encryption and I'm like the, the problem though is no one no one who actually needs to know how to use it knows how to use it. The tech people are already doing stuff like that. Right. But we end up with these very, very complex tools that are just so difficult to use and to engage with. And, and I think to circle back, maybe that's where some of the AI stuff comes in, right? AI can learn patterns and, you know, Oh, people in finance tend Mm. not to encrypt their stuff. So let's give them an easier way to do that. And I think that's, that's an interesting
1: yeah that would be synergy, an interesting book right? yeah like taking that and hooking into something like xdr or something along those lines where you can get a far better level of visibility as to the threats in your environment that's a great way to look at it as well
0: yeah xdr for those of you that those out there that may not know what is xdr
1: uh oh my god the cold medicine has taken my brain <laughs> i have studied <it. laughs>
0: Extended detection and response. I was giving you. A, Thank I you. Thought I was giving you a softball. Yo,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no.
0: Yeah. Well, you the know, cold, it's funny, right? You, yeah, it's funny because you and I—we've had this conversation about how much of what we do is about communication, and then even still, we have a tendency to do that, right? Where we throw acronyms out. We just assume people know. I believe me, I do it all the time, and you uh, know when I perfectly do? Perfectly When I'm tired. When I'm tired. Or I'm on my eighth call of the day. You know, I work from home. My wife in the other room. She'll come. She'll go, what are you talking about? They have to kind of think about it. And um, it's 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 funny. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but I think no, it's a no, great example, right? Of 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 the fact that even even people like you. I mean, you are you are a extraordinary communicator right you were able to build a bridge between don't laugh you were able to build a bridge between business and technology and that is a skill that a lot of people don't have i know tons of really really great technical CISOs who can't talk to their boards they can't engage with the CEOs and therefore we get marginalized and we become the people who say no and and that's why i think that's such an important thing Mm.
1: And I agree completely there. In a lot of ways, it's like, you know, historically we always complained as, you know, we are security folks. Nobody's taking us seriously. The dog
0: is back. Come here. Okay. There we go.
1: Say hello. There we go. Hello.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. Sorry. Uh, Communication. No (laughs) worries.
1: Communication. Uh Yeah, no. Like in a lot of ways, we are, you know, to take that analogy right there, we're the dog that caught the bumper. So historically, people kept saying, you know, nobody ever takes security seriously. And then now, a great knock on effect of the pandemic is now people are taking security seriously, because they have these hybrid environments, they have to figure out better ways to do security. And um, as it's just amazing that now that we've caught that bumper, we got to figure out what to do with the car. So, and and that's one of those things. Is as as a maturing industry vertical, for want of a better term, we look at you know um, healthcare. We look at jurisprudence. These are industry verticals that have been around for hundreds of years. They have established processes. They are you know mature. We as a field definitely are very early on in that curve. So um, I, I think that the last few years has absolutely been a leap forward for security folks in that organizations recognize us as, you know, one of the adults in the room as opposed to that crazy person with the tinfoil hat.
0: Well, but you've been to enough DEF CONs to know there are still those people and some of the most brilliant people we know are not people I would want to put in front of a board. Right? Oh, never, never. The, yeah. I had, I remember years ago, I had a pen tester that worked for me and um, he, we were doing a pen test at a bank and um, he asked someone, he said, I need your password. And she said, well, I'm not giving you that. And he's like, that's all right. I'll just crack it anyway. And I went, okay, you can't talk to clients anymore. And the guy was a great pen tester, but he was yeah. just incapable of having a conversation with a human being. He was great talking to, to, to technology. So, all right. Um, so one last question, and then and then we'll I'll, I'll do a little little bit of a of a recap. Um, so, what's one lesson that you have learned in your time in security that you would impart to someone maybe who is embarking on this crazy career that we work in?
1: So it's interesting you say that because in my own podcast, I do talk to folks about exactly that, you know, how they got started in the, the, uh, sorry, how they got started in the field, what they learned along the way. And for me, I think the biggest thing is um, uh, quite literally the soft skills, being able to communicate, being able to talk to folks, build connections with other parts of the organization. Be able to communicate with people that are Luddites, that have no idea what you're talking about in ways that's going to make sense. You know, don't do the acronym soup like I fell into earlier, and I'm blaming the cold medicine for that. But, um, uh, uh, the, you know, being able to focus on the human element, because I think historically we have collectively done ourselves a, distur- a disservice. rather. In that we lost that focus. And I I, earlier in my career, I was absolutely that guy. I was, you know, I would vilify the users for doing silly things. And I went, wait a second, this is not getting anywhere. And once we made folks part of the solution, we uh, are, you know, empowered them to think that they could, you know, contribute, even though they weren't in security. All of a sudden, the narrative changed completely.
0: Excellent. I think that's great advice. And I, I think you're right. And one of the things I, you know, I've looked at some programs, you know, a lot of universities have masters and PhDs in cybersecurity and you know what, none of them have anything about soft skills. It's all the technical stuff. So you get a bunch yeah. of technical people with technical backgrounds, learning more technical stuff. So, all right. Well, Dave, a pleasure as always. Um, hopefully I will see you in Vegas over the summer at DEF CON. Um, more than likely. we we're, um, we're I'm definitely going to be there for Black Hat. I'm, I'm trying to um, finagle my wife to let me be gone for nine days. Uh, so quick recap. Um, so Dave says that John Wick is a paragon of virtue and heroism. He didn't actually Wait, say what? that. But <laughs> <laughs> but we, we love John Wick. He's He is um, force of will. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but he killed three guys in a bar one time with a pencil. With a pencil. I don't know <laughs> if you knew that. Yes. And then he killed two more guys in the train station. Um so Dave's seen a lot of change over time. Uh, one of the big things that he thinks we struggle, struggle, struggle and I agree, is is security debt. Um, work from home is, is a new problem that, well, hybrid work is a new problem that security people are starting to struggle with. And maybe you're making them better. And finally, chat GPT is a hammer. Anything else, oh, Dave? It is
1: indeed. No, no, that's good. <laughs> you know, I just never forget the human element. There you go. Oh, I left that out. That's That's the the most important part. That's the one I always talk about. That's the core of security. Yep.
0: There you go. All right. Uh, Again, thanks, Dave Lewis, for joining. Uh, It's a pleasure getting to talk. I know it's been a little while since we uh, Mm -hmm. since we chatted. So, thank you all for joining us. Uh, This has been another episode of Risk and Reels. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wheatman. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay secure. Wheatman out.
1: Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by BlackKite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.